We are in week number in week number three of a series is kind of becoming a tradition here at New Stanton Church over the last few years. I've preached an intentional series on marriage because I believe that the family is the foundational unit of our society. And as families are healthy and functional and God-worshipping, our society becomes more healthy. And as families kind of destruct and become more dysfunctional, I believe a society crumbles with it. Character and integrity are caught and taught in the home. You can't learn those lessons anywhere else as effectively. Uh, If you want to make America great again, love your husband. Be faithful to your wife. Get off the electronics and do something together as a family. Worship the Lord. Uh, Just as a side note, uh, our hope is not in a candidate or even a strong economy. Uh, For those of you who might be wondering if I'm going to start making political comments because it is an election year, the answer is no. Uh, I stump for Jesus alone. Uh, Yes, I vote. Yes, I have opinions. But my job is to proclaim to you the word of God. Uh, So we're going to look at another marriage this morning and see what we can learn uh, about relationships that we can apply today. Uh, God created marriage. And these lessons, I believe, are important for everyone, whether you're married or not, whether you're single or dating or engaged, whether you have kids or are divorced, uh, these principles apply everywhere. So the marriage we're going to look at this morning is the marriage between Abram and Sarai, who later become Abraham and Sarah. So as I use both of those terms, know that we are talking about the same two people who are married. And we find their story in Genesis chapter 12. And if you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah, God sort of breaks in on Abraham. And he says, you are going to become the father of a great nation. But Abraham's wife... Sarah could not conceive children. And God told them, the two of you are going to have a child, and the descendants that you bear will be as numerous as the sand of the sea or the stars in the sky. It was a promise that they were going to have children. And then they waited. And they waited. And they waited. How many of you, as we begin, remember, um, if, if you're married, back to the days when you weren't married and you had all these expectations about what married life would be like? Remember those? Uh, you, you believe that uh, it, it would be glorious and that you would have a house and, and a car and that you would have a couple kids someday, maybe a boy and a girl, both, that would be perfect. Uh, You would have a dog, not a cat. You would have a dog, uh, and that you would get a good-paying job and maybe travel. You know, those were the hopes that you had. For for those of you who are single, or maybe you don't want to be married, but if you do, you might have similar hopes and dreams that those of us who are married have. And you used to, if, if you were married, or if you're married now, your story is probably very similar to, to this. 
uh, when you were engaged. You were in love, and you've, you felt those warm, fuzzy feelings just from holding your partner's hand. Uh, you talked all the time, even, even after he brought you home from a date, uh, you would get home and call, because now they do that like as they're driving home, they talk on the cell phone, but you know, back when we were dating, you had to wait till you got home to call the person on the phone and then talk some more. Uh, but it was a glorious, glorious time, and most people think that you're gonna get married and those warm fuzzies are gonna continue and you're gonna get the house and the car and all that stuff. But if you fast forward, most relationships, five, 10, 15 years, things change and expectations change. Uh, some couples would say, you know, 10 years in, we're just trying to stay married at this point or we're trying to just make ends meet. And it's not about the house and the car, it's whether we're gonna keep the car. Uh, we're trying to keep the kids out of jail. Uh, at some point, everyone's, in everyone's relationship, you, you say this. It's not that it's bad. It's just that things aren't what we expected. It's not what we planned them to be. For one reason or another, things change. Uh, I think when Lisa and I first got married, like many young married couples, we started off our relationship with those rose color, colored glasses on. We thought everything was just going to be smooth sailing. Uh, by the time my wife and I got married, we had already been a couple for five years. We had been engaged for three of those five years. We were high school sweethearts, and all you girls are thinking, aww. Um, but we thought when we got married that there wouldn't be any significant problems or surprises. We had, we had been a couple for five long years. But boy, were we in for some surprises. Uh, we, we started married life off kind of rocky, and it got better every year. And I will take the blame for that. I don't think Lisa nor I anticipated that the problems that I experienced growing up with my parents <laughs> would, would carry into our relationship. Uh, the, the physical abuse, the mental abuse. Um, at one point, my mom had a nervous breakdown and went into the hospital. My dad got an apartment and they were gonna get divorced. Uh, and then they got back together and accepted Jesus. Uh, but that created in me a lot of insecurity, a lot of anger. And this hard exterior kind of tough guy image that I portrayed, when we got married, it seemed to, to crumble. And all of those insecurities and that anger came to the surface. Imagine at the same time, ladies, when, when you're dating someone uh, who you have dated for two years suddenly coming up to you and saying, uh, at the same time God's doing all this work in your heart, you know what, I think God's calling me into the ministry to be a pastor. Well, there goes the dreams of owning a nice house and traveling, unless you count moving from appointment to appointment as traveling. Um, we did manage to get the dog and not the cat. Yes, uh, victory. But everything in life changed, and, and not necessarily in a bad way. Things were just different. Uh, my wife and I now are so blessed, and our relationship is so deep, and we have gone through so much that we have grown closer every year, and it's amazing. I love my wife, uh, and she loves me, 
but life isn't as we first dreamed that it would be. And many of you, whether you're married or not, look at your life now and can agree, you know, life isn't like I planned. It's not like I thought it would be years ago. Uh, Some of you might be thinking, I thought I would be married by now. Some of you who have been married and are divorced are thinking, you know what, I thought I would still be married. Oh, I, I thought I, our marriage would be different. Not that it's bad, it's just not what we had intended. If any of that resonates with you this morning, I think the story of Abraham and Sarah will resonate with you in a significant way. I wanna jump in to Genesis 12, verses one and two. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, And go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. So God is offering a lot to Abraham. He's offering to make him famous. But it's a huge leap of faith. And that that leap of faith is indicated in Hebrews 11.8. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. God basically says, follow me into the unknown. Follow me without a roadmap. Follow me without even a destination. And I think we lose sight of how big of a leap of faith that was today. He didn't have an end point he was going to. He couldn't mark out hotels along the way. He basically packed up everything they owned on the back of a camel and moved in the direction that God told him to go. And Sarah went with him because she knew he was a man of faith. It's scary, but God will often call you into a life of blessing But the only road there is the road of faith. God will often call you into a life of blessing, but the only road there is the road of faith. A road that, by the way, doesn't have all the details mapped out on it. And God doesn't fill them in on purpose. That's right, God does it to us on purpose. Because God knows that if he would fill in all the details of life, that one, we might not go. We might just say, you know what? No thanks, God. I am going to stay right here. And he also doesn't fill in the details because we wouldn't learn to trust him along the way. So Abraham and Sarah, all they get is a promise You are going to be a great nation, but you have to embark out into the unknown. To to receive that life of blessing, you have to travel the road of faith. There is gonna be so many of you who are not gonna be able to count all the blessings that God is gonna pour out upon you, but you're gonna have to walk the road of faith. God says to Abraham and Sarah, your descendants are gonna be as numerous as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. That's a lot of descendants. Abraham and Sarah's story is described as one marked by faith, but if you look closely 
at their story, and we're going to this morning, they actually falter and they mess up, but God proves faithful to them in the end. When life doesn't go as you plan, when things happen that you didn't foresee, you can either falter in your faith or grow stronger. This is true just as much for individuals as it is for married people. So uh, whether you're single, married, this applies to absolutely everyone. I want to look at the way this married couple faltered in their faith when things didn't go as they planned. Because I think we can learn, one, to guard against the same pitfalls, and that there is hope even if we falter. So number one, when life doesn't go as you planned, you can fall victim to fear That's what Abraham did when there was a famine in the land. And in today's language, you would say that there was an economic recession. That's what happened. And Abraham, given that situation, decides to move his family to Egypt, where life was a little bit better. Look at Genesis 12, 11 through 13, for one of the ways he falters. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abraham said to his wife, Sarai, look, You are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife? Like, you married out of your league. Let's kill him, and then we can have her. So please, tell them you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. So Abraham is thinking they're gonna gonna kill him because Sarai is one hot lady. So he encourages her to tell what really is a half lie. That's right. Sarai was actually Abraham's half-sister. I'm telling you, living in the ancient Near East was like living in Kentucky. (laughs) Kind of scary down there. Um, This is all really, really weird. But here's what's really happening in Abraham's heart. Abraham is afraid. And he starts doubting the promise that God gave him. God told Abraham that he and Sarah would have a child, that they would have descendants, and he is afraid for his life. Now, the last time I checked in that day and age, you need to be alive in order to have children with your wife. But he's afraid. And he falters in his faith, and he doubts the promise of God. People still wrestle with trusting God's word and his promises when life doesn't go as they plan. There are older people today who are living together because they don't trust God will provide for their needs if they get married. Yes, it is wrong that our government and our system is set up that people are worse off financially if they get married. But you have to ask yourself, do do you trust that God will still provide for you? There there are couples living today because they fear commitment. There there are couples today living without being married because they're thinking, what if he cheats? Or what if she nags? Or what if we end up divorced? Do you trust God's word? It's seen in other areas as well. There are people that don't tithe because they wonder if God can actually make ends meet if they step out in faith. There are people who feel like God is calling them to start a ministry or maybe a business 
who, who are just frozen with fear, thinking, what if this fails? Do you know that you can what if your way right out of obedience to God? You can what if something to death and not take that step of faith. It's called falling victim to fear, and it's exactly where Abraham is at. If we align our life with this book, the promises of God, God will make a way even if there seems to be no way. Number two, when life doesn't go as you planned, you can get ahead of God. If you have ever been tired of waiting on God to act, give me an amen. Yeah, I think most people have been in a situation where it's like, God, come on. How long is this going to go on before I see an answer to this prayer? When you're waiting on God and asking for him to just hurry up, you can start thinking like this. You know what? God's not acting. I am going to make this happen. Because if I make this move, I bet I think I'll get what God wants me to have anyway. And in fact, I probably just misunderstood how God wanted to go about it. And this is probably what God wanted me to do in the first place. Because obviously, he's not doing anything about it. He must want me to do something. And that's exactly what Sarai did. Look at Genesis 16, 1 and 2. Now Sarai... Abram's wife had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. I'm telling you, this is like Kentucky. It was okay in the day. It sounds weird to us now. Go sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. Of course he did. Now, if you're supposed to have kids and you don't have any, you have a problem. And you get tired of waiting on God. If God said you were going to have kids and it takes a year, two years, three years, five years, ten years, now you're mad. Notice that, that Sarai blames God. She says, the Lord prevented me from having children. It's his fault. He's the one that promised, I don't have kids, it's his fault. Now, go sleep with Hagar. And she says this, perhaps I can build my family through her. Did you notice the I statement? You see, she's not leaning on the promises of God. She's not, she is taking charge of this situation. And whenever you take charge and start working for God, you complicate things. You, you enter dangerous territory when you stop leaning on the promises of God and start taking control yourself. You can get ahead of God, and you end up with Ishmael and not Isaac. Now, if you don't know the story, Abraham and Hagar had a son named Ishmael, and his birth caused such drama and such jealousy in that household what once thought Abram thought was a great idea, go sleep with my Egyptian servant. Sure. Now was the biggest heartache 
and biggest wedge in his marriage. It complicated everything. When you are waiting on God, you have to remember he is always two weeks late and right on time. Sarai panicked and got ahead of God, which is so common, but so dangerous. God said, and you will. It's a promise. But the temptation is to say, God, where are you? I haven't yet, so I'm gonna force this. God, God, my friends, is never early, never. But his timing is perfect. That doesn't mean that waiting on God needs to be entirely passive. There are things you can do, but there is a difference between working with God and working for God. Sarai was working for God, and she got ahead of him because life wasn't going as she planned, and she got Ishmael instead of Isaac. Number three, when life doesn't go as you plan, you begin to think that God will never act. Honestly, we have to cut Abraham and Sarah some slack here because God wasn't just two weeks late. He was 30 years late. 30 years. 30 years after a promise that you will have children and they still didn't have a child. Look at Genesis 17 with me. God finally shows up again. Then God said to Abraham, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will richly bless her and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become the fa a father at the age of 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael, the one that we worked out, the one that we got ahead of you with, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. But God replied, no, Sarah, your wife will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. Abraham, as he was now to be known, laughed at God. He did not think God was ever going to act. He thought what they had already done was sufficient for God's acting. He was 100 years old. Sarai was 90. Having kids? That Those years are like long gone. This is years before Viagra. That's a joke. God, this isn't even possible at this point. Sarah overhears God talking with Abraham, and this is her response. It's in 1812. So she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure? Especially, check this out, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old. She's like, God, he's got one foot in the grave. 
How is this even possible to have a son? And then when all seemed impossible, when it seemed God would never act, God asked this question, I think, that rings out through all eternity to us today. It's Genesis 18, 14. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? God says, I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? God asked this question, and I believe it pierced their hearts and their soul, and I believe it pierces ours this morning. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I don't, I don't know what you're going through. I, I, I don't know what you have been praying to God for, saying, hurry up already. I've been praying and praying and holding on and praying. I've been believing the promise of your word, and I haven't seen anything yet. Don't give up. Nothing is impossible with the Lord. God, God can break into your marriage. He can break into your finances. He can break into a loved one. He can break into your kid's life. Invite him into those situations and just keep holding on. I remember when I first started here as a pastor, there was a, a gentleman that went through a knee surgery and his name was Burl Riley. And he didn't come to church, but his wife did. And she asked me to go visit with Burl. And she said, now, just so you know, he doesn't come to church. He won't come to church. He's not gonna become a Christian. And I don't think he'll ever come here. Burl started coming to church. Burl got saved. Burl now went home to be with the Lord. But the biggest joy of my heart was when Pat couldn't come to church and Burl would come without her. Is anything impossible for God? Don't lose faith. Don't stop believing because nothing is impossible for God. What I find encouraging about the story of Abraham and Sarah is actually that they didn't always get it right. But when you look at the New Testament, they're described as if they always got it right. Look, look at Romans. This is how Paul describes Abraham and Sarah in chapter 4, 19 through 21. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Now, you and I might look at that and think, wait a minute, that's not true. They feared. They got ahead of God. They laughed. They thought God would never act. They did, but they were shown the grace of God. And after they wrestled and after they lost hope, they came back to faith 
and they believed God's promise. Do you ever wrestle? Do you ever mess up? Do you ever get tired of waiting that God will hear and answer? Do, do, do you struggle when things don't go as you planned? So did Abraham and Sarah. But God was still faithful, and he showed them grace and forgiveness, and they were counted as people who never faltered. That's what the blood of Jesus does for us. We are completely forgiven. And God sees us now as righteous, whole, blameless. Because of his blood, he looks at you and me as if we never sinned. Keep holding on. Keep having faith. If you've faltered, if you've sinned, if you've drifted, Come back to him, and it will be as if you never left, because that's what the grace of God does. Let's pray together. Jesus, I want to pray for those who have faltered and sinned and got ahead of you and believed that you would never act, because God, we all falter. We all sin. But you sent your son that we could be redeemed, blameless. We've messed up, but your grace says it doesn't matter. That if you are covered by the blood of Jesus, it's gone. So Jesus, we, we say we love you and we put our trust in you this morning. Because without you, we stand guilty of faltering. But with you, we stand blameless in your love and in your grace. And all God's people said, amen.